Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Thank you for joining me this week. I have a guest with me. Our guest this week has chosen to say anonymous, which if any of you do want to come and chat on the podcast and talk about your experiences, you're always welcome to do so and remain anonymous. This is the whole point to this podcast is to be a safe space where we can share our experiences and find that relatability and know that we're not alone. So hi, welcome. Hello. It's nice to be here. <laughs> ish. <laughs> ish, yeah, it's always an ish there, isn't it? It's not not necessarily nice, not necessarily fun, but it's good to meet you. Absolutely. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's a little bit um nerve-wracking coming on, but as I say, it's um it's good to share experiences and I it's helped me a lot listening to your podcast. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here and sharing my story, really. Yeah, I think one of the most powerful things that we have with this podcast, and I know you mentioned that you're a big fan of Helen Villas and Katie McKenna and their Insight podcast. One of the most powerful things about podcasts like these is that it's real life stories. It's real life experiences and it's not necessarily just professional opinions on those experiences either. It's actually hearing other people talking about what they've been through and that makes a big difference. So can you tell me a little bit about what your experience has been? I know that's <laughs> a really vast question, but let us know a little bit about what you've been through. It's a vast question. <laughs> um, <laughs> many people, obviously, there's a huge story behind everything. But I mean, if I can try and cut it short for you. So I think my mum maybe a covert narcissist and my dad an overt narcissist Mm. which I wasn't quite sure what that was before I started listening to podcasts but my dad's the typical over the top I mean when we're at home you know everybody does what he says it depends on his moods and you know that you're going to be in for a bad day if he's woken up and his mood is 
it's not right. You also, I find he's very, what's the word? You know, when somebody sort of like, if, if he's happy, everybody else has to be happy. If he's miserable, everybody else has to be miserable. So the mood of the house always determined on my dad. Yeah. Um, and he didn't want to be on sort of like the bad side of it. However, he did also work a lot. So there was sort of a little bit of breathing space from him, if you like, which was quite nice. My mum, I've always seen as the good person, the good parent, the go-to parent, the one that, you know, she she did no wrong. She was the saviour. And it wasn't until sort of like I've got to the stage in my life where I've had babies and realised that you get these sort of like times when you're sort of like, is she the good parent? I'm trying to read between the lines here because she's she's saying that she's trying to save us from my my dad she's trying to keep us from my dad keep us safe but there was so much emotional abuse there there was so much I mean parentification like we were so enmeshed with my mum it it was crazy really so I'm the eldest sibling I'm um, the oldest and there's like a 10 year age gap and then I've got two younger brothers so just a bit of a background my mum and dad separated when I was born Um, my dad wasn't ready for children and uh, me and my mum lived with my grandparents then my mum and dad got back together when I was school age so um, it was around five-ish so between the age of five and ten I was sort of like the only child and I remember life being quite good then I, I don't remember there being any issues or my memory won't go back to that like I remember it being quite a happy time I remember my mum being happy I remember my dad being happy and I I just don't remember any um that would trigger that there was something wrong at that point Mm. fast forward to my mum having twins okay (laughs) and that completely and utterly rocked everything So looking back on it, I would say my dad was very put out because he didn't have the attention on him. He he obviously he went to work more because then obviously we've gone from a family of three to a family of five. You know, that's quite big. It was just me, mum and dad at that point as well. We weren't living with grandparents then. But my dad um, was very put out and he... I remember his mood starting to change a lot and he was very, I guess, jealous of the attention that obviously my mum was having to put on to my, you know, newborn brothers because they're babies. Babies need a lot of attention. There were not, there wasn't a lot of sleep. (laughs) And I remember a lot that during the day I would obviously go to school, but at the weekends, I remember my mum having a nap a lot of the time when my brothers were born so her attention was pretty much on those twins and when my dad wasn't around which was the majority of the time I was the standing parent I did everything and that you know that was from the age I was was nine and a half but you know we'll round it up to ten so from the age of ten I was that second parent and obviously, as I got older, I became the babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I became very attached to them, 
and I did a lot of the parenting I I feel and I still feel now even at the age you know I'm in my 30s now I still feel very maternal over them and I've had to take a big step back to be their sister and not their mum because it's so hard trying not to step in but I'm managing it it's it's easier obviously now I've got my children but as I say when they were younger I I definitely had a very a parenting role not a sibling role which was you know looking back it's quite hard yeah so they came along at this point so around I mean I would say between the age of 10 and 12 my dad started up a an affair we're not obviously sure at what age it was but it was definitely around the time when they were born obviously it was very secretive it was very no no I'm not, I'm not having an affair and then obviously it all came out now I'll, I'll let you make your mind up but my dad thought he could have the best of both worlds because he thought he could have my mum at home and she could be the mum and the wife and he can have this other partner as well Obviously, mum was not very happy about that. Yeah, I think um, that's reasonable. As, as I, I would be exactly the same. You know, it's not the sort of relationship she entered into. But my my dad basically said, I can't help it if I'm irresistible to women. And <laughs> I, I just, I, but bearing in mind, you know, this is going on between, as I say, I, I'm at about the age of 10. I know all about this. Mm. I shouldn't know all about this at this age. So so from, like I say, between the age of 10 and 12, all this affair sort of started to come out. And then I start being not only the parent to my twin brothers, but the sounding board for both parents. So yeah. mum would obviously tell me about what dad's done. Dad would tell me what mum's done because mum didn't give him any attention. Mum didn't give him any affection. He was hard done to because she's had these two babies and now she's pushed into the side. Can you see why he needed love from other places? Not only that, obviously I've spoke to you previously about this, but I was sexually abused when I was a child and it was by my dad. And again, when my brothers came along. So it was very much... I mean, I remember the first time it happened and I obviously as a child being about nine years old, I didn't know how to react to what was happening. And it was very much the emotional abuse of thank you because I'm not getting any affection and I needed love. And how can you do that to your child? <laughs> like, you I just being a parent myself... I, I can't understand who can do that to a child. And I haven't told my pet, like my mum, because I was a soundboard for her. I was responsible for her feelings. I was too frightened as a child to say anything, even to obviously teachers. And yeah. I would say I was always really good at school. So I, I would say I had a quite good um, connection with my teachers, but I, I wouldn't have told anybody. So obviously, as I say, when my brothers came along, that started and his affair started but it was okay because he was hard done to because he was being pushed out because he wasn't getting any affection yeah and I I have since spoken to a counsellor but only this year and it was quite interesting when we were talking because it feels like it was like a level of control from him 
he knows that I was going to be too scared to tell anybody else. So it's it's not going to get out. He's got this other woman that he's he's getting all his needs met. He's he was using me to get any other needs met at home because he obviously wasn't getting what he needed from my mum. And as I got older, so I, I do remember when it stopped, but as I got older, I remember he got a lot more cocky and a lot more, he used to take the mick a lot about, obviously, as I got older, my body started changing mm. and he would make comments about, if I was in the kitchen, he'd make comments about my body yeah. in the kitchen when my mum wasn't there. And then I just remember feeling so awkward, like as a, as a child, I've never been able to, I wouldn't be able to walk around without a bra on or I wouldn't, I, I would never have the door unlocked if I was going to the bathroom or having a shower. There was no, I was just not comfortable at all. But then he'd make these snide comments and he'd make these remarks about my body. And then my mum would walk into the kitchen and it'd be so awkward and you could see his smug face. I just kept thinking like, I mean, looking back, sorry, how how could he have the the balls to actually do that? Yeah, to actually know what he's doing and be that confident to almost get caught making those sort of comments. Mm. And I think as I've got older, my mum, I've wanted to tell my mum, but my mum's very, she's had a lot, you know, a bad childhood. She's uh, didn't have a very good relationship with her dad and I've had a great childhood because she kept me safe from my dad, basically, yeah. um, and his toxic behaviour. And I just want to sometimes shake her and be like, were you living in the same house? <laughs> yeah. Because he was an awful human being. He was a drug addict. Um, he didn't take alcohol at the time. But he was addicted to, he was always smoking weed and he was um, occasionally would have speed at home as well. Mm -hmm. So he was always on something. And when he was taking drugs, he was nice. He was okay. When he wasn't right. taking drugs, whoa, those come downs were insane. Um, and he was nasty. And he, again, obviously he'd make the comments on my body. But then when he's coming down, he would start to say, oh, look at your teeth or, or look at your hair colour or he, he would always point out something that didn't look nice with my body. Um, oh, your, your gap in your teeth, that's massive, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I've got my gap fixed now, funnily <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, and obviously my hair colour, he used to comment on my hair colour. Interestingly, I dyed that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So... I was always quite self-conscious about things because like most people that listen to this podcast, you know, your parents just, they pick your worst feature and they literally go for that. It's like going for the jugular and yeah. it, it just grinds you down. Um, but yeah, so just going back to my mum. So she had quite a traumatic upbringing um, with her parents and as I say, she was very much like, well, I've saved you from your dad. I, I keep you safe um, and you've had a really good upbringing. 
and as I say were you living in the same house like where yeah. where were you and when I look back I'm like well you're always asleep you you were asleep you were looking after them my brothers or you were asleep I was a teenager at this point so I was trying to stay out the house as much as possible and if she ever left the house I was not safe I was not safe with my dad I also didn't want to leave my brothers because I felt that I was there protect her because he would always be nasty to them when she wasn't there and then she actually left my dad it was around covid time so um the whole affair uh came out when I was about 12ish but they continued to live together they continued to have a relationship and I continued to be a sounding board for both of them i moved out at 19 and then it sort of like all sort of started to stop then and interestingly as soon as i moved out my dad forgot I existed at all never came around to the house or anything yeah but obviously as I say that this the relationship was still well I say relationship they weren't I wouldn't say they were in a relationship but they were they lived together and my mum continuous continuously said oh, I'm gonna move out I'm gonna move out but I don't want to rock the family home for the boys my brothers but there was no family home it you know it was it was a horrible environment um, my mum was always having to protect her children from what mood my dad was in. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know what she was trying to protect them from. But I again, inside, all I wanted to say was, well, what about me? Yeah. It, it just it was horrible. So fast forward. So she moved out eventually in um, during COVID. So, I mean, Oh, it's a good 10 years at least after I moved out. So she'd been saying it since I was about maybe 15, 16 that she was going to move out. She finally did when I was nearly 30. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, come COVID, then she, her mood started to get worse. And she started to get to the stage where she was like, well, this is, I'm now all alone. You know, obviously I've mm. moved out and COVID's hit. So what about what's what's going to happen to me? This is um, karma. I shouldn't have moved out. I shouldn't have left. And then she would say, well, you know, obviously it would have been hell if I was living with him, but she wouldn't have been on her own. Mm. And I just think, well, you've been miserable in your relationship for however many years. And I, I always remembered, even as a teenager, saying to them both, if if you're happier apart, be apart. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know... I was too young to offer relationship advice, but I always said to them, I'd always hoped they would split up mm. and that I would never have to see, you know, go and stay with my dad. But I just think that was the best relationship advice I could give at that time. But even like, as I got older, I always used to said, say to them, we would have been fine if you had split up. I mean, obviously you don't know how it will have affected their moods, but I would probably imagine they would have been a little bit happier. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so COVID happened and my mum was very much like, oh, I'm alone, I'm miserable, nobody's staying with me. Obviously, at the start of the pandemic, it was very much nobody could swap households or anything either. Mm. So we weren't visiting, obviously. Um, we were video calling. She got very low, which, you know, everybody did. Everyone was low at that point. If I'm brutally honest, it was quite a good time for me because I was on maternity leave and I was in a little bubble with my family and nobody could get to me. 
Yeah. So it was quite nice. I didn't have my mum coming and being negative all the mm. time. And it only started to get worse because my brothers were starting to go to university, um, which meant that she's now got the empty nest syndrome and her negativity just got worse and worse and worse. And obviously having my own children, I started to notice these little things like her being very, she wanted a lot of my attention she wanted to be a part of my family and do things with my family. Not before this point, though. This, When my brothers were growing up, she wanted to do everything with them. When I had a baby, she was, oh, you know, uh, can you get a babysitter? We can all go out. Now the boys are older. We can go out for drinks. And yeah. well, no, I, I don't want to do that now. I'm not 20 anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to sit in, sit with my baby. Um, and she'd get quite annoyed that we wouldn't all get to go out and she used to make comments about you know oh well you're selfish because you're you're having children now and you know when you just sort of like it's we've always had quite a sarcastic um, family dynamic but it's not funny you know that it's real you know that she's being deadly serious so you can't just turn around and say please don't do that because whenever I did that super defensive Mm-hmm. oh for goodness sake it's only a joke you you know you, why can't you take a joke so yeah so she always wanted me to go out and do things go out for meals and things you know I, I couldn't afford it I was on maternity leave for goodness yeah. sake and and I wanted to stay in with my baby I was started it was my turn now to start my family yes it's nice to have grandparents there but she's not she's not part of that anymore she's she's not part of my like in her family now yeah. this is my time so she started to get a little bit cross about that um she was very yeah so th- this is when I sorry this is when I started to realize sort of like that level of enmeshment as well yeah. because um she would want to come to family things with us and she would say okay so oh, if we can go we can go and do this or just for example you know we're coming up for the festive season um, let's go and see Santa Claus. Well, you know, I, I want to do that with my, you know, yeah. baby daddy. Yeah, reasonable. <laughs> my husband. Um, and we sort of want to do that as a family. I don't mind doing something with her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we do also want to make our own memories. Well, that's not good enough. She mm. wants to be involved. But it was always she wanted to be involved as me, her and my children. Yes. And it's it was all the time because that's the that was our family dynamic before because whenever we did anything it was always me her and my brothers yeah never had my dad my dad was never involved Mm. so it was like she's still trying to carry on this family dynamic all the way through Um, almost like uh how dare you now have this family unit with a husband and partner who's supportive and wants to be involved when I didn't get that Yes. And that's when it was, I always wanted your life. I always Mm. wanted what you had, but I didn't get that because dad was the way he was. Mm. Dad had an affair. Dad did this. I, I, it's not my fault. Yeah. Um, but I was getting the thing, the thing is though, it's, it's done so subtly Mm -hmm. and, you you sort of like you start to feel sorry for her so I try and do 
I'm then, you know, trying to do two lots of things. I'm trying to do things as a family with my partner. And then I'm trying to do things as a family with her because it's always awkward when everybody's all together. And she, she just makes these ridiculous comments all the time and it makes me feel awkward. And I, I don't know, it just, I just started to see that level of enmeshment. Mm. Um, my so my dad obviously he hadn't really spoken I mean he's in and out of my life since I I was 19 and normally around Christmas time he'd pop back in that that's the only time in a year I'd see him yeah he'd start popping up about October November time ready for do you want to come around for Christmas day sort of thing he's only ever popping in and out we are having still having Christmases all together at this point even when they've split up so that's Mm -hmm. awkward in itself and then it was two years ago so it it was after the pandemic and he just randomly turned up um in July um and um came to my house didn't know my youngest child's name just called her some random thing and he was like oh I didn't think you'd answer the door to me Mm -hmm. and I was like well I'm not going to sort of like shut the door on you. You're my yeah. dad. And, you know, because like I say, at this point, we we still had a father daughter relationship, but there's no, I don't know. There's, there's, he rings me once or twice a year mm-hmm. and he came in and he said, I'm really sorry that I don't have time um to come and see you. I'm always at work. And I was like, well, I'm always at work. And I said, but I'm I'm just going to say this now. I said, you you make time for your child. Yeah. You you must make time for your child. I said, I don't know anything about you anymore. You don't know anything about me anymore. We don't have a relationship. What what do you what do you want here? Like what there's there's no admittance of, you know, what had happened. There's no acknowledgement of what had happened. There was nothing. He just he was just sort of like, oh, but I don't have time to come and see you because I'm always really busy at work. Mm. I said, you drive past my house. Yeah, you, you literally drive past my house. If you really wanted to make an effort, you can come to my house. Not that I wanted him to, but you know, it, mm. that wasn't the point. I still crave a dad. I still yeah, like look at other people that I don't know. Their dads are really proud of them, or their dads have walked them down down the aisle, or whatever my dad never you know he's never been proud of me he's never never been to any of my school stuff he's never been interested in absolutely anything that I've done it's always been about him and his um interests you know what he Mm. wants to do and the family would always have to follow whatever he's done and I just said to him I said you don't know anything about me anymore and he Mm. was like Oh, right. Well, that's because I I work really hard. And I just looked at that point, I just looked at him and thought, this man cannot hear anything that I I say. This man cannot, even if I started to bring up any of the abuse that I've endured over the years, this man cannot hear it. He's got some level of belief that everything that he did was, you know, it was okay and it was right. And he tried his best as a dad and he's not he can't hear me he can't apologize and 
he's never going to be able to listen to how I feel. So anyway, I let him talk at me. He had his cup of tea and he went. And that was the last time I saw him before he had a major heart attack, um, right. which was actually this year. So it was well over a year and I hadn't spoken to him at all. Um, and he had a major heart attack. And basically we were told that he needs to have an operation and he's probably not going to make it right uh, so i that week there was a full week i didn't go to the hospital i felt very numb um everything was like a big blur it's there was there wasn't any feelings there at the time it was yeah. just like this numbness even like going to work and everything i was still going to work but it was just a blur i can't really explain explain how I felt that week yeah um, but I remember being very much like I I hoped he would die mm. and the having those words come out your mouth about your own dad that's horrid yeah because there's so many people out there that don't have their parents and you know when you just sort of like you you can't say that out loud because that's not right that's not okay but it's um, the truth. It's the truth. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A and obviously, thing to all realize. the stuff that I've been through, I thought that's it. I'm, I'm burying it with him. Yeah. And then he survived. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's when the upset sort of like came because I was sort of like, oh God, I wanted my own dad to die. I feel awful. Mm. And, I then went to the hospital to see him with my brothers and he just was this lifeless thing in intensive care and bearing in mind this was like the first time in um over a year that I'd seen him or, or spoken to him but obviously he was not awake or anything um, and I went with my brothers and I just burst into tears I was just absolutely like oh god <laughs> Yeah. Um and I felt physically sick seeing him. Mm. Um and that was my goodbye to him. Um that was really hard. But I that there and then whether he survived or not, that was me saying goodbye. Yeah. And he he survived, he he's come out of hospital, he's home, he's you know, he's fine. He's been given second chance at life and I have I've not contacted him at all. And then after his birthday, he messages me. Um, so why haven't you said happy birthday? Why haven't you come around to see me? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm thinking, well, obviously this man knows there's something wrong. This knows there's something wrong with our relationship, surely. Um, and I said to him, I was I was like, this was via text. He did ring me, um, but I didn't answer the phone. And I said to him via text, because we don't have a relationship, there's, there is nothing, we haven't got anything here anymore. Um, mm. I don't want to start a relationship now just because of what's happened. And he basically said, well, I don't understand what, what's happened. I don't understand why he won't come round. And I explained to him that, 
the past couple of years I've had to do a lot of work on myself just because of him you know regardless of my mum just because of him and what he's done and I didn't know whether to um mention the sexual abuse there or not but I wrote out a long list of things that you know I said you've given me abandonment issues you you know you you've left ever since I left the home the family home I don't exist to you you've given me unhealthy attachment issues you I put you abused me not you know not the type of abuse Mm. and I've put and the emotional abuse that you know I've suffered throughout my life and he didn't acknowledge any of it he just Mm. said well you know I did my best I've I've been through stuff and then he started listing all the stuff that he'd been through and I said okay and there's still no apology there's still no apology you still cannot acknowledge how you have treated me I can't do this anymore and he basically said um I wish you'd have told me this before I fought for my life to um (laughs) try and hang on to my life in the hospital and I sort of like half of me was like please don't give me a suicide threat now um but um yeah he was very much like I fought for my life just for you Mm-hmm. And I thought, but you don't speak to me. You, you don't know I exist. But, you know, just like any other narcissist, they're not nice to your face, but proud as punch behind my back, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's all about yeah. centering themselves, isn't it? As that, yeah. I've done my best. I've been a good dad. I've, you know, yeah. I fought for you. Everything that you've said is exactly. about centering himself as this amazing, wonderful person. Yeah. And exactly. And I said to him, I was like, we all try our best. I've Mm. been through enough trauma as well, but I'm seeking counselling. I'm seeking therapy um, so that I can be a better parent because I know that I've got issues. Mm. And now I'm trying to better myself so that I can try and give my children a remotely, a, a half healthy, you know, upbringing I didn't get that at all because I had two broken parents that tried to raise me and I have so much sympathy for that what I don't have sympathy for is that they have no they've got no drive to make themselves better yeah at all and they just they think that they can do it regardless they Mm. think that you know having some drugs and making yourself happy and playing with your kids is fine he thinks he's having a good time we are not so much you know you you have to think about the times when we'd play snowball fighting for example um you know most normal families maybe go out play a little bit of snowball fighting um build a snowman my dad would squeeze the water out of the um the snowballs so it made ice balls and then he would throw it at us yeah. and then think that's hilarious and I'm you know it's, it's all those little things that come back and going back to my mum I never I've never told her about the abuse and I still haven't told her about the abuse again there's been so many times when I've wanted to mm. but I have so much of that my upbringing was so bad and you had such a good upbringing and yeah. um, I've kept you safe all this time from your dad and as soon as I start to say 
uh, oh, I'll give you this example. So she told me once that um, her dad um, was an alcoholic and he used to um, wake them up in the middle of the night to tell them to make them talk to him because my nan wouldn't wake up for, you know, to speak to him when he's too drunk. And she said, he, we used to be so tired and we used to want, you know, we'd be up for school in the morning, but he'd make us stay up and chat to him because he was drunk and he'd need someone to talk to. And she said, we'd be crying out for, um, to go to sleep. And I said, mum, I said, dad used to do that to me. Mm. I was like, I mean, he wasn't drunk, but I'd be going to work the next day and he'd come, I, I was always like, I always needed a lot of sleep, even back then. I'd go to bed at sort of like nine o'clock and, you know, this is my first job, my Saturday job, and I'd need to be up early for it. And my dad would get home at half nine, ten o'clock at night, and he'd literally rip the door open and sing in my room the top of his voice. And I'd be like, I'm, I'm so tired. I need to go to sleep. Can you let me go to sleep, please? And... She, I, I'd say that to mum and she'd be like oh I know but mm. my dad did this my dad did and it's in those moments where there's no safety to open up about what's happened and I feel that if I ever told her my biggest fear is she'd just make it about her yeah and oh my god you know it it's it wouldn't be my trauma it wouldn't be about me it would mm. be about her and how she feels about it yeah because i i mean i again i've got that sympathy of obviously if i were in her shoes i'd be devastated because i haven't been there to protect my child um and i get that she would be like that but th- at this point in time i don't need her to be like that i need her to be there for me and she can't do that. Even as a mum, now she's very much like, I had to raise my children without your dad. Well, he was there. He was living in the house. He just mm. was a shit parent. Yeah. But it's okay. I'm okay. I'm not struggling because I've got my partner. My partner helps. I'm not struggling because we both work. I'm not struggling because we've got a happy relationship. No, I'm still struggling. I'm a working mum. I work full time. I've got two children who you know you know what having toddlers is yeah. like it's, <laughs> it's hard it's work challenging yeah and I'm trying to heal from trauma to mm. be the best loving mum that I can be because I I don't want to be enmeshed with my children I don't I want them to be children I want them to be happy I want them to come to me and be able to tell me things and me not to be like well you know what have you got to moan about I had this to deal with do you know what I mean like they could be having a tantrum I could turn around to them and say well what have you got to be um mardy about your dad didn't abuse you yeah dad hasn't abused you do you know what I mean it's just it's that competitive trauma Mm. I don't I don't want to talk to her about something when I'm going to be made to feel that my problems are nothing yeah so that's it it's that invalidation again isn't it you've had from your dad where he's not validated any of the things he's not taken the time to apologize he's not stepped forward and held his hands up and said yeah I, I need to be accountable for this or anything it's just well I've done my best 
yeah. then to have it from your mum as well and then almost weaponized as a well okay yeah that happened to you but think of me in this it's so yeah. it just strips you of everything yeah because there's nothing there to say actually I hold my hands up and god that must have been difficult for you and I think you when there are going to be so many people I'm sure who relate so much when you were talking about how nasty your dad was I think we talk a lot on the podcast about covert narcissists and people who are very emotionally mature very much like your mum in terms of just almost in that land of Delulu where they've not quite yeah. grasped how they are behaving but there was never anything that was vicious there was never anything that was truly cruel it was oh, always just very much oh woe is me and very much a you need to be responsible for my emotions. You need to be the parent for me because I can't be the parent for you or for myself. Yeah. But then when we talk about the experiences that you had with your dad and that being a very classic overt narcissist where he's got that illusion of himself that women find him irresistible and he's so, you know, I'm I'm so amazing. I'm so wonderful. I'm this great dad, but actually he's really bullying and he always puts his needs and his wants in front of everybody. Everybody has to fall in line around him. If he's miserable, well, you better be miserable as well. And if you're yeah. not miserable, he's going to make sure you are. If he's happy, but you're having a bad day, well, that's not acceptable. How dare you? And that is so classic for an overt narcissist, somebody who is that real sense of grandiosity you know when we talk about a narcissist and we think of that classic narcissist the nasty person in the boardroom the person who's really vicious to their family the person who has those affairs and is completely unapologetic for it. it's your fault they've had it right yeah that and you mentioned as well how he had the balls to be so overt and so uncaring that he was abusing you and making these comments and then your mum was right there could catch him at any moment that's so common for an overt narcissist to feel so entitled to treat everybody this way that they can do it in public blase yeah. they don't care because everybody thinks they're wonderful so they don't care and it's it's really difficult to be in that position as a child because you don't understand all of the things that are going on around you even as a, a young teenager you know this feels wrong you know that you need to protect your younger siblings which is not a position anybody should ever ever be in and yet it's a position that you were thrust in because your dad was the way that he was he was a bully he was cruel that example that you gave of the snowball squeezing out the ice so that he could make sure it hurt they're really classic things that dressed up as a nice family event and if you complain about it it's how dare you some kids don't get their dad's yeah, play with stop them being I, so sensitive. yeah stop <laughs> being so sensitive stop being so ungrateful I'm taking time out of my very important very busy schedule where I have to work lots and I have all these people who need me and want me to be with you why are you crying that I've hit you in the face with a block of ice how mm -hmm. dare you and that and you kind to put of them in the freezer as well to make them wow. even harder yeah and then think it was absolutely hilarious. It's hilarious, it yes. Yeah, a bit of fun and games. Maybe you should man up a little bit. Mm, yeah. It's so common to hear of those experiences with that overt dad. But again, I think sometimes when we talk about that, it, I say it's common. It's common 
if you know about overt narcissistic yeah. behavior and it's common if you w- move in these circles where people talk about it but because people don't talk about it because they're shamed into not talking about it it's not common to hear it unless you're actively seeking that healing you're actively within communities that are like you said you want to be better for your children you want to heal so that you can break that cycle and make a difference but then when you have a parent who is sat in that victim space where she's saying I protected you that makes it doubly difficult for you to step forward to her that I found very tricky because obviously when I've started to do healing and you start looking at what a narcissist is you know regardless of what an overt or a covert is Mm. um I can clearly sort of like make points about what my dad is and that's where it's so confusing because you don't know what to believe when my mum's saying some of the stuff she's doing she's lying she's well she lies she parentifies she's enmeshed she's um always in the victim role and that's very, it's very confusing when you know that there's something wrong with one parent, but you're having this other care, you know, the, the other person, the other parent is the safe one. And I say that very <laughs> lightly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's sort of like, well, who was I meant to trust when I was a child? Who, who was the safe parent? Because actually neither of them really were Mm. it's just one of them was safer than the other yeah and that's really quite sad and it as an adult when you've got your children it that's very hard to come to terms with and it's very hard to I mean I'm I'm no contact with my dad now um Mm. I mean I say that it's only been a few months he might pop up again at Christmas but he will not be welcome in my house now yeah. I have told my partner about the past and obviously he's absolutely he's not stepping foot in this door yeah <laughs> of course. he's never he's never had any relationship or any contact with my children so you know there's been no risks there but mm. obviously since I've told my partner he's like you know it's it's your choice what you need to do with this um but you he's not coming in the house mm. and that sort of makes me feel a little bit better about it because then it the it's sort of taken out of my hands so if you turned up at the door it wouldn't just be me saying no you can't come in because of you know whatever there's someone behind me set like on my side for once saying no that was not okay and I mean he knew what he was like anyway and he just sort of put up with him anyway yeah (laughs) Um, yeah well obviously since knowing this which I've only told him this year uh, he's he's not welcome he's he's Mm. not you know there's there's a big issue there obviously yeah Uh, I'm sorry and it's like you say you've finally got that support you finally got someone behind you you're not on your own with it and I think you'd mentioned that you you've told him this year I think that is and we talked about this beforehand that's so common to bury these memories and to keep them to yourselves and to hold them within because you're told that you are the one who's to blame for it that you yeah. are the one who's responsible for it you'd got your dad saying to you oh, you know thank thank you because I needed this affection I needed this it's your mum not giving me this and then 
you've got your mum saying, well, I've protected you, I've done this, and you're the child stuck in the middle. And I think at the beginning you'd said, how can you do that to your child? And something that I often say when I work with clients or when we do these podcast episodes is we're not meant to understand the how and the why because yeah. no decent parent would. Would do that. No, and no decent parent would understand how and why that would happen. No decent human being would understand how and why that would happen in terms of how could you do that to your child? We might understand the psychology behind it, but the actually yeah. how do you follow through and make it justifiable in your own brain baffling and it's meant to baffle us because we look at our own children and again you'd said how things started to rush up for you when you had your own children that's just so common it's so common because all of a sudden you're presented with these kids that you would do anything to protect that mean the world to you that you want to better yourself for and you think well the fuck couldn't you do that for me like exactly what was what was going on through your mind where I'm seeing these wonderful babies and you've done this exactly and you you sort of like you see how because obviously my mum's still in my life and I'm Mm holding her at a distance at the moment I'm not ready to cut her off I'm not sure I ever will I don't know but I I definitely hold her at the end of a barge pole um I don't tell her too much I don't tell her how I'm feeling because I don't want that competitiveness but sometimes I find like I can see when she's with my children she compares my children and she'll say oh things about their behavior or about the way they are and if they're doing something bad oh that's definitely my partner's side of the family Mm. if they're doing something good that's definitely my side of the family Mm. take take after nana yeah not (laughs) mum and I'm just sort of like oh yeah (laughs) because yeah that makes perfect sense of course yeah and I can see these little things that she's trying to do to put that competitive streak in them because mm-hmm. I would like to say that me and my siblings are quite close, but I don't think there's anything close about us, if I'm brutally honest. Right. I think we've never... You, you know, obviously, when people talk about narcissism and they say the roles in the family that you've got, like your scapegoat, your yeah. golden child and your um, invisible one. Now, there's three of us, and I'd like to say that I could probably tell you who is who however I I was thinking about this the other day and I feel that the role changes all Mm -hmm. the time in our family and all I feel is that when I look back we've been pitted against each other and we've been made to compete for the affection and the attention of our parents all the way through our lives that we it's impossible to uh, for us to have this bond because even when we're all together now we all take the mick out of each other yeah we we all um we all go too far with the mick mm-hmm. taking and it's only been sort of like as i say since i've had my children that i've been don't do that why are we um, yeah. picking at each other's appearance why are we picking at something we can't change about ourselves why mm-hmm. are we doing this and it's getting better but I've only started to see that my mum sits and says things about my two children. Yeah. And I'm like, we've literally been put against each other our entire lives. Please don't do that to my children. So yeah. it's very difficult to sort of like step in. But I'll either say something so 
it's sort of like nicey nicey so she doesn't react mm -hmm. yeah um or i will say something after she's gone i'm still not at that stage where i'm brave enough to challenge her when she's there and in the moment because i go very withdrawn i i guess it's something i've always done because if she says something if she shuts me down for something that i said i just stop i just yeah that's it i've been put in my place sort of thing um and even in my 30s i'm still doing that yeah um, and again something that i'm working on and i need to work on to protect my children however that distance is there now i'm not you know we don't have as much contact with her and i don't let her have contact with my children without me being there yeah um because that's my way of protecting them and you know as i say i'm trying to heal from that as well as the abuse because as well i mean when i started to obviously unpick a little bit with my counselor it's not easy having two girls and having your partner bath them or i mean they're not neither of them at the age that i was when the abuse started but and I don't open like constantly watch them, but mm -hmm. you know the amount of times that I've stood on the stairs and and listened to how my partner is with them in the bath, or you know they always run around naked. I've never known girls to <laughs> to be naked so yeah. much. I'm I was very uncomfortable about it to start off with, and I'd constantly be like, "Will you put some clothes on?" Especially when Dad's in the house, but then. My, when I've obviously spoken about it to my counsellor, she's been sort of like, you've just, I grew up in a very different household yeah. to what my partner did. Um, and I've got to, I, I know that I'm always going to probably have that in the back of my head, mm -hmm. but I'm monitoring that. And whether it's right for me to monitor it or not, I don't know, but it, you know, it makes me feel a little bit better about it at the moment. But yeah, we did we did talk through it and she said they're really comfortable in their bodies and they're really comfortable at home. And that just made me relax so much mm. because I thought when I was, I know obviously I was a little bit older, but there is not a chance I would have walked around naked or even been naked in my house, even in my bedroom at yeah. home. So, you know, they are very comfortable to do that. And I've got to let them do. I want them to be body positive, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, and I you want them to be comfortable, don't you? Absolutely. You want that comfort. But equally, it's really difficult. And this is why I say nothing will trigger you like having kids. Yeah. Because you will look at your own experiences. And like you say, I couldn't even be comfortable in my own bedroom, in your own private room. Yeah. You couldn't feel comfortable to be nude. Yeah. Even as a child. And I mean, children, I'm, like, I'm still running around in the garden naked at times. And I'm like, look, guys, come on. <laughs> There's neighbors. And they're like, whatever, yellow. And you, you, it's it's wanting that comfort for them, whilst also then being mindful of the fact that not only did you never have it, but that comfort means something very different, very threatening to you. Yeah. I mean, even like, obviously, I'm thinking, I wouldn't do it in, I wouldn't be naked in my bedroom. Um, I, when getting out the bath or shower, I remember I used to put the towel on me very quickly because it would be hilarious for my dad to be stood at the bathroom window mm. and making a joke of it again. And that, again, that was very open. That was very overt. 
head, it would be, I'm, I'm joking, I'm banging on the window because we lived in a bungalow, so obviously yeah. could see. And, you know, my mum wouldn't think anything of that because, again, he's he's joking, it's hilarious, so I just need to live a little, hmm. get a grip. But that was not safe for me. That was uncomfortable, and especially as a when you're starting to develop as a teenager. And mm-hmm. as I say, I, I'm quite happy for my children now. If they want to run around naked, that's up to them. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit more comfortable about it now. And as I've spoken through it with my counsellor, I'm mindful of it, but I'm a little bit more relaxed now, knowing the signs and after speaking to my husband about it got them the book about their body parts being their own and yeah. what's acceptable for them can't remember what the book was that I got but it, it's an age appropriate book for yes. them anyway yeah that kind um, of explains consents and yeah yeah I think they I remember the kids coming back from uh, school once talking about is there a pants rule or something like that like there's yeah. a rhyme or something <laughs> yeah there's a rhyme or something that goes around the pants area and I remember thinking gosh that's really good that they're kind of talking yeah. about because when we were growing up that was not something that would have been discussed it would have just been yeah, like exactly. you'd have had a horde of parents in the 90s going into school like how dare you imply this yeah, why when actually yeah. it was necessary it's yeah. always necessary yeah definitely I did start it obviously my youngest I think she was definitely about three when we started Mm. to talk about anything like that and it might be very young to some people but I think when you've been through what I have and with it being someone that's so close to you and someone that's meant to be my dad was meant to be the safest person the safest man to me the person that's meant to look after me he's meant to he's meant to be my favorite man you know yeah. regardless of my partner or my brothers he's meant to be my favorite man and he's he is the person that I'm most unsafe with yeah. and that's quite sad it's you know and then my mum's very unsafe too yeah. <laughs> I mean I can laugh about it at the minute but you know you have these moments where you feel okay about it and you feel on top of the world and then you get to this time of the year where, you know, it's about Christmas time. And then you realise that your family isn't the best family. But I'm creating my own family. My own yeah. family is a nice family. So, yeah, we're, we're all getting there. And I, I'm on a good, I'm on a healing process. I'm I'm making good steps and I'm doing the right things. And I've got, I've found, you know, the community online with, with this podcast, with the Insight podcast that I follow, it's a good community to be in. And without having to be sort of like directly face to face with people all the time, it's mm-hmm. nice to have people on the end of a phone or in a group chat or whatever you, it, it's because my, my best friends are great, <laughs> yeah, but they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And they are amazing. They really are amazing. Um, and I have told them and they know everything about my life. You know, we've been friends for a very, very long time. But when unless you talk to somebody that's been through this sort of thing or not necessarily the abuse, but with toxic parents, yeah. then people don't understand, unfortunately. No, and they don't they want don't. them to understand either. Yeah, that's it. You don't want them to understand, but you do want the understanding but yes. they don't understand and it's really difficult to find understanding and you know to find you either get the classic but it's your dad or but it's your mum and oh come on you let, let bygones be bygones 
or you get complete horror that that's happened to you but also a oh how do we talk about this how do we you know if you'd have gone to them and said I just hoped that he'd die then that to me I hear that and think god that's gonna be so relatable for so many people I've thought that about my mum I've thought that and thought goodness me uh you know when is she just not going to be here anymore so that it's just done yeah yeah because I think you generally feel that when they die all the pains are going to go away yeah I don't think it is. No, it doesn't, unfortunately. <laughs> My dad is dead and no, he didn't take it with him, no, which exactly. is absolute bullshit because, you know, that would have been the only time <laughs> that he would have come through for me. Exactly. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't go away. But you do have that. It would be easier grieving what is now gone yeah, than when, grieving... When they're still them, alive. Yeah, grieving them still that. here and yeah. grieving what should be but can't be as opposed to what should have been and what couldn't have been because of what they were and I I do think there is something in that where there is that that finality when they're gone and they're dead of you're not hoping that they will one day wake up and go I need to be accountable for this yeah I need to make amends even if you wouldn't have trusted it if they tried to make amends you just know that they're not about to try and do it I I feel that with my dad I've I've half grieved him because he's he's been in and out of my life so much that mm. I, he's not a solid figure in my life for me to depend on. Whereas because obviously my mum's still in my life a lot, that's harder to grieve that she's not going to be the mum that I want or need. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I love her. I love the. I love her to death. I really do. But. I love I have to love her at a distance because she hurts me so much and she it doesn't matter what I say or you know I'll not see her for a few weeks and then she'll come around and and she'll be really really nice and I'm like this this is it this is it yeah (laughs) and then the next time she comes over I'm like oh she'll walk through the door and she'll go hi bitch and I, and that just instantly like why do you do that like I, I don't want to call my children names mm. like why do you come in and want to call me a name when the minute you walk in the door and start and she'll be like oh you're right I'm, oh, I'm a bit tired from work oh well I've got so much going on at work mm. and oh you're, at least you've got the no stop yeah. stop comparing to me the minute you walk in the door and I immediately just go back into gray rocking or whatever making myself mm-hmm. as uninteresting as possible and I just don't know I just I'm just a I'm just a person I'm I'm not there yeah I'm, I'm just this figure in the kitchen half the time yeah um, but that that sort of I'm constantly going backwards and forwards with she's 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 okay now because I've left it a few weeks and then oh there it is there yeah. she is yeah <laughs> welcome back yeah. and that's hard that's really hard it is that is really difficult and that hope I think is always what gets us as yeah, adult children crushed. of dysfunction it's that that hope that is the most difficult thing to come to terms with and to navigate it really is thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me and for being so brave I can't tell you how impactful I think your story will be 
and how much it will help other people to realize that they're not alone in their experiences because it's very rarely talked about and if it is it's kind of in a, a diagnostic terms of this is what happens and this is how it looks and this is why and just to hear someone's lived experience is going to be so powerful for so many people in realizing they are not alone in this these experiences especially where you've not spoken to your other parent about it you've not spoken to siblings about it it's not something that's come out to the light yet in everything but has for you and you're working through it in your own terms that's really relatable I feel and something that's so important obviously it's I do want to stress obviously I am coming um around to it in my own time I know that I'm only just starting to come to terms with this Mm -hmm. and I know that at the moment I'm okay but I know that when it comes to my siblings having children it's going to be a whole different ball game because Mm. things are going to have to be said it's at the moment my dad has no access to other children yeah um but uh, like I say when my siblings come to have children that's not going to be safe and that's going to throw a whole different (laughs) ball game in there but we will cross that bridge when we get to it my nieces and nephews will not be put at risk neither will my children I can I can keep my children safe but unfortunately I think when that does happen I'm going to have to say something unfortunately you know it's one of those things but I can't put my nieces and nephews at risk Mm. when that eventually happens. If they even have children, they might not. (laughs) You never know. They might not. You don't know. But it is that. And then again, there's that responsibility that is placed on you when it should never be on you. And it's a constant cycle of things that are placed on you. And as you say, you, you would ensure that they weren't placed at risk. That's something that you feel very passionate about. But it's almost that parentification happening again. Yeah, it's going to impact me significantly, but that will also have a massive impact on my mum and my brothers as well. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, it's the inevitable and it's always having to pay for the choices that your parent made. Yeah. That were not your responsibility. Because they didn't want to get the therapy that they needed. And in the words of my mother, I don't need to pay for therapy. I've got you and friends (laughs) to talk to. Yeah, I've heard that. Have I had a penny for every time I heard somebody say to me, my parent used to say, whether it be in a jokey way or whether it be just bluntly, I did dead serious. I don't need to pay for therapy. I've got you or I've got your dad or I've got friends. Usually it was I've got you. No, but I need to pay for therapy for you. I now need to pay for therapy because you thought that yeah so if you want to pay for therapy in some form pay for mine now because of all the shit that you put on me as a child we really should invoice them shouldn't we yes (laughs) I did see somebody did say to me once when they pass away they were like I want nothing from them and then they went actually no scrap that I really hope I am still in the will because they can fully just pay for all of the shit I'm going to take it as remuneration and I'm like yeah I like that I agree my compensation yeah my compensation for your absolute bullshit it's yeah yeah, compensation yeah your shit parenting my compensation and that's how we're (laughs) going to take it and yeah I can I can relate to that very deeply thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today 
as always guys thank you so much for listening if you do have any questions or you would be interested in being a guest on the podcast then you can get in touch with me online either at toby and rue which is my instagram or uh, via email which is harriet at tobyandrue.com you can also find the unfollowing mum pages across social media where there are loads of helpful resources you can get in touch with me on there just a little bit slower at getting back to you bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.